I'll be reading scripture today from Psalm 127, verses 1 to 2, and Hebrews 4, 9 to 11. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is useless. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard for early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who enter into God's rest will find rest from their labors, just as God rested after creating the world. Let us do our best to enter that place of rest. For anyone who disobeys God, as the people of Israel did, will fall. This is the word of the Lord. So I got an email from uh, one of our members, uh, Krishanth and Anjana, that uh, Anjana's dad passed away. So we'll be praying for them. So why don't we uh, pray together? Father, we uh, lift up to you, Krishanth and Anjana and her family as they grieve the loss of their father. We pray as they travel to Sri Lanka this week that you'd be with them and that you would protect them. And as they mourn and celebrate together the life of their father, I pray that, uh, that they may be aware of your presence with them through it all, that you're a God who is not only in our uh, joys, but also in our grief. And so, may they keenly feel your presence with them to know that you are with them, journeying with them through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, when I was in my mid-20s, which is now 20 years ago, which is crazy, man. Yeah, in my mid-20s, in my time of, you know, tip-top shape where I could do anything I want and it didn't affect me, I used to play a game with my friends that I loved. I spent so much time playing this game, and it's called Mahjong. For those of you that may not know what it is, in in the Western style of the game is, you know, you had the two tiles that you kind of match together, and it's like a puzzle game. But the original... Chinese version is, is kind of like, it's like cards, kind of like euchre and a mixture of that and hearts. Anyway, so, so it was a game that, that we played a lot with, my, with my, some of my Chinese friends who taught me. And so this one night, we played like we normally do. And one thing you do in Mahjong is you, you could play as long as you want and you play for a long time. So we played all night, st- staying up all night playing Mahjong. 
The only thing was that the very next day, I had to go to work. And, you know, it was, it, you know, I don't even know if I was in my 20s. I may have even been younger. But it was a job at my friend's father's office building, or no, I think it was like an apartment building. And my job was just to go and clean. So I would have to go through each floor, kind of sweeping the, the ground, the floor, and then the stairways. And so imagine staying up all night. Uh, next morning, you go to clean. And some of these older apartments, they're pretty warm, right? So I remember being really tired, and I was walking from one side of the building to the end to the other side. And the next thing I know is I'm waking up because I bumped into the door at the other side of the apartment building. I literally was sleepwalking across uh, the apartment because I was so tired. And I've never done that in my life. That's, that's the first time I ever s- slept, wa- sleepwalked. And, and I haven't done that ever since. But it was just, I was just kind of laughing at myself, right? Because you like bonk into the door and you wake up. And, and I do still remember it being in the stairwell, trying to clean, and I was so tired. So I, would, I just kind of sat down, slept a little bit. And so, yeah, I didn't work there long, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but I worked there. So that's my sleepwalking experience. And doesn't it feel like sometimes that we are sleepwalking through life? I mean, I mean if we could only have a little more time, we could do so much more. What if we could somehow not have to drive to work, maybe have autopilot or autonomous driving so we could either get some more work done or even sleep in the car? How how productive would we be? And a day like today, when we lose an hour of sleep, right? That would have been perfect to be able to sleep in the car. And just imagine the level of productivity, the amount of stuff we could get done only if we had a little more time. What is the thing that you would do if you had a little bit more time? Have you heard of these five five AMers who wake up five in the morning, every morning, and guess like they work out, they get all this stuff done before everybody else does, right? They're these these crazy folks. Um, Or, you know, some would say the ones that get ahead in life, right? I read up about these folks because I'm like, this is crazy, 5 a.m. in the morning. But there's this whole article about how these top execs, it's the, it's the trendy thing to do, wake up 5 in the morning, right? You get more done than everybody else. You get ahead in life. And I was thinking, wow, that's, like, how would you even do that? But if you sleep, sorry? Get a cat. Get a cat, yes. Or you just sleep early, right? If you sleep at 10 and wake up at 5, you still get 7 hours of sleep. So I'm like, oh. That's not bad if you slept at 10, right? Like, that's not too hard to do. I'm not going to do that, but, you know, good for them. And we know something about having a good, nice sleep, right? It's very important. It's this one online article that, see, that talks about sleep and the, and the effects it has on your body when you have a lack of sleep. It can affect your memory, your concentration, cause accidents, daylight savings, right? That's, that's when there's this level of accidents that go up. Mood swings, weakened immunity, high blood pressure, weight gain, risk of diabetes, low sex drive, risk of heart disease, and poor balance. All just because we sleep less. 
Having a good night's sleep seems to be something that is harder and harder to come by these days. And it sounds a lot like what the psalmist is saying in verse 2. In vain you rise early, and in vain you stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. We get up early and stay up late, burning the candle at both ends, and yet it still feels like there's still not enough time in the day for the things we need to do. What I love about this verse is what the psalmist say, says about our work. In vain we rise early and stay up late. In vain we toil and work for our careers to pay off our debts, drive our kids from activity, one activity to the next, to live up to a certain lifestyle. In vain we go through our to-do lists, making, making sure we get through them all or at least get through some of them. But for those he loves, he grants them sleep. He grants them rest. And this idea of rest is nothing new in the Bible. One can argue that rest is an important theme throughout Scripture, as something that is part of the created order and completed in the work of Christ. And let me just give you a quick overview of this. In the book of Genesis, we see God created the heavens and the earth, and after six days of creation... God rested. God creates human, humans and creates them in his image and invites them into rest and reign just like God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God has finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rested on the seventh day after creating human beings in his image. He invites them to join him in ruling creation as his image bearers and also to rest like God as his image bearers. Rest is not something just made for us, but rest is something that God does and invites us into. In Deuteronomy 5.15, we see God, after bringing the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, instituting the Sabbath, setting aside a day for God. Israel, who were slaves with no rest, are now given permission to rest and are commanded to do so in the Sabbath. In Leviticus chapter 23, we see a list of seven festivals or feasts. These seven were given to help the people of Israel remember who they were and whose they were, the people of God. The first one was, and this, these, these seven, this list com comes from the website, The Bible Project. And if you're, more inter if you're interested in this, there's like 11 uh, podcasts on the rest of God. So if you like, you could go and look through it, but I've shortened that for you to save you some time, you know. <laughs> so the first one is Sabbath, the seventh day of each week, duration for one day, no work. That's the restriction. Uh, the second one is Passover and the unleavened bread. It's the first feast of the year. Duration, one day plus seven days. The restriction, no work on the first and the seventh day. The third feast is the first fruits held the day after the seventh day of Passover. Again, one day, restriction, no work. Fourth is the feast of weeks, or what we know as Pentecost now. Seven times seven and one day after Passover, so 49 plus 150. 
Uh, duration is one day, restriction again, no work. The sixth uh, feast is the Day of Atonement, 10th day of the seventh month, July, one day, no work. The seventh feast is the Feast of the Tabernacles, middle of the seventh month, duration seven days, restriction, no work on the first and seventh day. If you notice, one common theme is the number seven. Remember the seventh day we rest. But also throughout each festival is the restriction of no work. But to me, it's not a restriction, but an opportunity. It's a holiday. Just as we have national holidays and long weekends, here is a restriction placed on the people of God to rest, to center their lives around God and the importance of resting, not just physically resting, but resting in God. So seven festivals, or what I like to call them, seven days to party, to remind the people of God about who they are and their rest in God. And this kind of rest is not just for the people, but it's also for the land. In Leviticus chapter 25, God commands that the land itself will have a year of rest. So after six years of cultivating the land, give the land rest on the seventh year. Don't plow the land or sow, but whatever the land produces, enjoy it for yourself, but also for your servants, but, and for the hired worker and for the foreigners. Let it just be. Anyone know what this picture is? This is what was known as the Dust Bowl from the 1930s. And this lasted almost 10 years where due to poor farming practices and, and the desire to produce as much as possible off the land, the farmers replaced grass with more wheat for profit because wheat was a hot commodity. And even I hear now it may be again. And because of that, and there was a drought, the topsoil that was held by the grass was gone, and, and there was just the wind would blow away the topsoil. And it caused this dust bowl and dust storms all across America, especially in the middle of America, but then all over even to places like New York. It was called the Dirty 30s because there's so much dust in the air. And it was the setting of the book Grapes of Wrath. Who knew? Some of you knew. I didn't know. <laughs> if our desire for productivity destroys the very land that we live in, where it literally turns all things to dust, maybe there is something helpful and true about the rest that we need to consider. God rests after six days of creation on the seventh day. God causes people to rest on the seventh day of the week, God gives his people seven festivals and parties in a given year to center the people around rest and on God. And on every seventh year, gives the land a year to rest. And at the end of seven years times seven, on the 50th year, will be the year of Jubilee. This time of this year of Jubilee will be a time where all debts are forgiven. All land are returned to their owners and slaves are set free. It is a year of freedom, a year of rest. And this time of Jubilee is important because of what Jesus himself says about his mission in Luke chapter 4, 6, 4, 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, yeah, on Sabbath, yeah, uh, he went into the synagogue and as was his custom, 
He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. On the Sabbath day, Jesus reads his mission to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That year of the Lord's favor is Jubilee. And after he reads this passage, he says that today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is in him. Jesus' mission is to proclaim that in him, through his death and resurrection, all deaths are forgiven. All sins are wiped out. All land and all possessions that were amassed and taken in greed will be returned. It will be a time of freedom and rest where we celebrate and live in full communion with God in his kingdom, where there will be true rest, where work is not burdensome, but it's easy and light. So Jesus invites his disciples in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Remember that this invitation by Jesus is right before the story where Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus invites us to come to him, the Lord of the Sabbath, Sabbath that invites us to rest in God. Sabbath that, gives, that was given to us, not as a restriction, but rather as a blessing. Come to Jesus, whose, all, whose ways are not burdensome or restrictive, but rather frees us and gives rest for our souls. I don't know about you, but one week of vacation never feels like vacation for me. Because for the first two, three days... Your body's still like jacked up on adrenaline or the rhythm of going to work. So it takes me about two to three days for me to kind of slow down, get back into the, the, the holiday zone, right? To kind of forget about work and all the things you have to do. And so I need at least two weeks. One week is nothing. One week is like just having more work to do, right? With your, with your uh, family going on vacation. And I'm also the type that when I go on vacation, I like to do a lot of stuff. So I can't just sit still. I have to do things like go hiking, go sightseeing here, and fill my time with this and, and do that. And instead of creating space for nothing, creating space for nothing feels like a waste of time. And that's something that we as a productive society can't stand is to waste time. I hate it when I have to attend a meeting. That could have just been an email. I hate it when you're just sitting through a, a, a long, a long uh, traffic jam. And you're like, oh, I'm never going to get that time back. I could have sent that email. We all recognize just like the importance of time because time is limited. Time is precious. Time is money. And God must have known about this kind of mindset that 
that we would have when he instituted, when he instituted the year of Jubilee. What do you mean take a whole year off? That's crazy. What do you mean return everything back to their rightful owners? That's not going to work. And by the way, Jubilee has never been practiced in history. But listen to what God says as an answer to the question that all of us would have with God. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 19. What will we eat in the 70th year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? And listen to what God says. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year. So this is, sorry, this was on the seventh year. So this is not Jubilee. This is the seven years after the six years of working, uh, letting the land rest for seventh, on the seventh year. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. God will give us such a harvest in the sixth year that there will be enough yield for three more years. Imagine God saying to us on our sixth year of work that I will triple your salary so you don't have to work on the seventh year. That would be amazing. Just take the year off. I'll take, I'll take care of you. That would be awesome. You know, I read this one article that talks about our kind of system of retirement. If you think about it, if we did actually practice Sabbath and took the seventh year off of every six years, compared to what we normally do is we work until we're 65 and we, t- we retire and then don't work until, you know, kingdom come, right? Um, the number of years that you would live retire versus the number of years you would have off every seventh year is about the same. The difference would be that you would have a good rhythm of rest and work. It's not like you have to work so that you could rest. Finally, after all those years of work, I could now retire and enjoy my life. No, work and rest becomes a balance of life. So God goes on to say in Leviticus 25, 23, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. Whose land is it? It's actually not our land. We're strangers and foreigners on this land. All the time we spend working, cultivating, building our own Who does God say it belongs to? It is His. Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2, Unless the Lord builds this house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. Unless the Lord builds the house, we build it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, It is in vain. Unless we live, work, and rest in God, it is all done in vain. But to those he loves, those he loves, those who live in sync with God's rhythm is the one who sleeps, is the one who rests. This is why the writer of Hebrews writes in chapter 4, 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. 
Here the writer of Hebrews brings up the people of Israel in the desert who wandered for 40 years, who in their disobedience and faithlessness did not enter into the rest of God. And for them, the rest was the promised land. But even the promised land wasn't really rest. It was a sign of rest. And the writer uses Israel's negative example to warn and to invite the readers into the Sabbath. Enter into the Sabbath rest. Again, this phrase Sabbath rest is used nowhere else in the Bible. It's almost like the writer of Hebrews coined the term. He's like, I'm going to call it Sabbath rest. And so he calls it Sabbath rest. Uh, for the people of God, this rest is not because the Sabbath is good for us or because it's a command, though it is good for us and it is a command, but rather because God himself rested. I think there is power in the fact that God rested. The seventh day when God rested is the beginning of creation. It were the end. It is the beginning of the rule and reign of God where he invites Adam and Eve into. We who are made in the image of God who also create and work like him need Sabbath. Sabbath is a gift to the unending desire for consumption, for productivity, and for self-worth. Sabbath becomes a way of us trusting in God, saying no to the God of time and productivity and saying yes to a God who gives us rest for our weary souls. So are you tired? Are you feeling weary? Do you feel as though you're going through life sleepwalking? In our season of Lent, we have been talking about how we can detach and fast from things in our lives so that we can create opportunities for God. Today, I want to say to you, we're called to stop. Stop from our working, stop from our striving, stop from ourselves, so that we can find rest in the one who gives us true rest. We're invited to join God's kingdom and his rhythm and economy where time is a gift, where time becomes still when we rest in him, where time, though, keeps on ticking, does not stop us from our eternal life with God. So how do we live in the now with God? How do we live in his rest in a world that's 24-7, 365 days a week? And in some sense, you are already doing something about it. You are here, in person or online. Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day, we don't actually fast on Sunday, even during Lent, because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We gather as the people of God, carving out time, committing to this time, rain or shine, COVID or no COVID. We put this time in our calendars and work around this time on Sunday to mark this time where we acknowledge God as the one in whom we find our rest, that our schedules, our worries, our careers, our to-do lists can all wait. They can be done later. Or not be done at all because it all belongs to God anyways. Our time belongs to God. We belong to God. This doesn't mean that you can't work on Sundays. Some of us do. You know, Some of us have to work on Sundays. So we have to find other ways of carving out time, making Sabbath and practicing Sabbath ourselves. And so what would it mean for us to mark our time to create space for God by stopping from our business, busyness for God? How do we create space for God in our busy lives? 
Well, in some ways, I think this is the wrong question. It's not about creating space for God in our busy lives. It's about giving over to God our busy lives and ourselves so that all of time can be lived in His rhythm. It's not a, God, okay, here, let me give you a little bit of Sunday morning, and then the rest I'm going to just use the way I want. It is a complete surrender and reordering of our lives so that we can live in His rhythm now, which centers our time around God's time in the rhythm of rest and work that He created for us in the past, but for us to, and also for us to enter into now, and for us to look forward to in the future. Another point is that rest, and we need to remember that rest is not found just in practicing Sabbath or going on vacation to Mexico or some nice warm place, but, but rather it's in Jesus Christ that we find our true rest. This is why Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burden, because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Come to me and be in my presence, because it is in me you will find true rest. And that's why in Exodus 33, 14, this is what God says to Moses. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. We find rest in God's presence. And lastly, did you notice that keeping Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments? If we break one of the Ten Commandments, right, like stealing, murder, adultery, what do we say about those things? We, we call them sin. And whether or not the order matters, but Sabbath is actually before all of those. And you can say, if you commit any of those three sins, stealing, murder, uh, what was the other one? Adultery. They have very severe consequences, right? Depending on what it is, right? Stealing may be less if you're white-collared. Um, but, you know, stealing is still considered bad. You go to jail for stealing. You go to jail for murder, right? Adultery wrecks families and has very uh, bad consequences. So, and, and we call these sin because what happens is in it, you dehumanize the other. You take the image of God and you dehumanize them by taking theirs, what's not yours, you know, by killing them or by, you know, uh, breaking the covenant, lifelong covenant. So why do we think that Sabbath keeping doesn't matter? How, how come Sabbath keeping is all of a sudden considered not sin? Right? We don't, we don't think about that. But it's, in my estimation, it's there before murder before stealing, before adultery. And it does dehumanize us and leads to death as much as sleep deprivation does to our bodies. Jan Johnson writes in her book, and she says, to, we need to take time to consider this hard question when we're thinking about Sabbath. And the question is, what is running me? What is running you? Is it your desire to be known as someone who gets things done? For people to look up to you, to respect you? Is it your desire for a big house, a fancy car, so that people like you, are, are um, proud of you, or, or envious of you? Or is it because you fear being left out or offending people? So what is running you? Ask God to show you what causes you to be so busy. Ask God to show you how you can enter into his rest 
and what that means for the time that God has given you. I want to give you a few moments, a few minutes to pray and ask yourself that question and ask God to speak into that. And after a few minutes of silence, I will read you a passage and we will end with that passage. God of creation, thank you that you created this world with the rhythm of work and rest, or rest and work. And I know myself that um, the desire to have purpose, the desire to make a difference, that those things and how people view me in light of that, is what drives me. Help myself and those are, that are with us this morning recognize that we are made in your image and uh, you call us good and beloved. And help us to trust and lean into your rhythm of grace. So are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion, sleepwalking through life? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So be it in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.